0: I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic. are probably already offended somebody. God, you know, uh, we got probably the only, one of the first hundred members is still alive, is a guy by the name of Tom Powers. Tom P is a good friend of Bill's and we went through a lot of Bill's rougher experiences with him in an early sobriety. Maybe we'd be well-served to learn from him. He has started AAA, All Addictions Anonymous. <laughs> he says the solution is the same, the cause for addiction is the same. So... Now that we've gotten off on a... We've had enough of all of you, goddammit. Let's get serious here. I am having... I've had a lousy couple of months, so I will talk about those first and, and clean them up and get them out of the way. Otherwise, I'll be up here trying to pretend that everything's okay. And, uh, boy, I'm so goddamn tired of that. Um, it's been a couple of lousy months in the sense I have a stepfather who had a real bad episode with his Parkinson's and had to go in the hospital... In a convalescent hospital. Then I had to put my mother in a, in a board and care home five days before Christmas. And on New Year's Day, she had a stroke. And now she's a vegetable laying in a convalescent hospital being fed through a tube. Then three weeks ago, my stepdaughter, by my previous marriage, 20 years old, was found dead in an alley in Toronto. From an overdose. She suffered a lot of years. It's one of those kind of deaths that's a double-edged sword, you know. She suffered so much, so much pain for so many years. She was really a child of pain. And, um, her pain is over yet. It doesn't stop for me. The terrible sadness and the anger that children have to die. And then two weeks ago, my wife's father died, and they were good buddies and friends. I've been in California for about a month now. So that's what's going on with me. So I guess the first piece of bullshit they gave me in AA was that everything would be okay. Everything is not okay. It's not a good two months. It's a tremendous amount of pain and sadness and loss. I've done a lot of suffering for it. My wife is and her mom much greater. They were married fifty some years. My wife and her dad were buddies. They'd worked through a lot of dysfunction to get to that point. But the message I'm bring here tonight, I guess yeah, I know it is, 'cause it's it touched my heart. Despite all that, I'm okay. I'm okay. Things are not okay, pal. Not by any stretch of the imagination. My life's being ripped, ripped 14 ways right now. We're going to move. I love New Mexico, but my wife wants to spend her mother's last few years with her, and we want our baby to have a, a grandmother. Our baby's a year and two weeks old. So it's, you know, I walked out of New Mexico a month ago, hadn't been back, and may get back in time to pack for the movers and, and say goodbye to everything. So that's the change, and that's what's happening in my life, and that's what's going on. But that I'm okay, That's that's, that's good enough for me. I'm okay. I have not always been okay. I was not okay. I was okay once. I love what Leo said last night about, you know, we're special. For for me and a lot of others, that sense of being special, being valuable, gets lost really early. I mean, once upon a time, I was a little critter with blonde curly hair and big blue eyes. And, Jesus... Uh, wonderful. Filled with wonder and awe. You know, there's a couple of babies here tonight. Boy, just take a minute to look at them and see what you once were honest to God like. I and mean, that's how we all started out. I wasn't angry, but I was capable of it. I mean, it was a gift. That emotion is a gift. That feeling is a gift from my God. I wasn't sad, but I was capable of sadness. I wasn't happy, but I was capable of happiness and laughter. and I mean, really laugh. But by the time I was five years of age, all that was gone. All that was gone. I was no longer capable of that wild, uncontrolled laughter that little critters have. I was no longer capable of anger. It was all stuffed. I was no longer capable of of sadness, man, or tears or crying. It was all gone for me. And um, so... Once upon a time, I was okay, and then I wasn't okay. Well, where's this talk going about? I've got a certainly an upbeat note so far.
1: <laughs> <sighs>
0: Sandy was saying, you know, that being drunk was not her image of a preschool teacher. And she said, I thought, you know, 99% of things in life were not what my image of them was. I mean, if I'm learning anything today, my belief system is so screwed up that my real concepts about most things are just really bad. So tonight as I talk, because I've got to talk about the things that have changed my life, some of the things I change, I, I say, may challenge your belief system. And you may find that extremely upsetting. I feel better now. <laughs> Much better.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Disturb, disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. Well, for you know, um, I'm one of these, like most people in recovery, my family left a lot to be desired. My father was an alcoholic and my mother was the kind of woman that loves that environment. And uh,
1: <laughs>
0: so uh, I, I grew up with some really pretty strange ideas about things. And in order to survive as a very small child, I had to get a lot of control over... Anything I could control, I had to get control of. And the most important thing to get control of early on was me. Me. Because I couldn't allow myself to cry at an inopportune moment. I'd get killed. I couldn't allow myself to laugh at an inopportune moment. I couldn't allow myself to need their affection because they're incapable of giving it to me, man. There's like two empty vessels that I grew up with. I look at my baby daughter today, and sometime I'll be trucking through the house, and she'll be sitting there on the floor, and she'll go like this as I'm headed her way. And I just think, oh, God, what if I walked by? What if I just walked by, with all the movement now for codependency and and ACA and, you know, dysfunctional and functional and all this that we got going on, all of which is very valid stuff, there's a tendency to think if you were not, you know, taken out back and tied to a tree and whipped by all your parents with a cat of nine tails, that you were not abused, that what are you crying about, you know, what's your problem? And I look at this little tiny girl in my house, and she puts these arms up. Because at that moment, her biggest need in life is for me to pick her up. To acknowledge her existence. To help her understand she's special and valuable. And what happens if I walk by and I think one of the tragedies that I see, it's just everything I say is my own opinion to, if it bends you out of shape, you're probably a dysfunctional human being.
1: <laughs>
0: because functional people understand my opinion's got nothing to do with you, and because my opinion differs from you, neither one of us has to be wrong. You understand? That's all. But in my opinion, there's like a myth that floats around recovery and society, okay? I mean we're not in some safe cocoon here, boy. All the stuff that's dysfunctional out there in that society gets right in here, let me assure you, all right? And one of it is in recovery that recovered, being recovered means not needy. Whoa. How are you, Bob? I'm fine, god damn it. Thank you very much. <laughs> Bob, your foot's on fire. No big deal. I'll get to it when I have a minute. What can I do for you first? Society has the myth that being emotionally healthy means to being not needy. How are you? I'm okay. Thanks. How's things? Terrific. And reality is, or the truth is, emotional health is to know what your needs are and to be able to go about getting them met. Know what your needs are and be able to go about getting them met. Man, by the time I was five, my needs were gone, baby. They were buried, because they weren't getting met. The pain was too great, so I learned how to beat and how to stop that one. Don't be needy. If I don't need you, if I don't need anything from you, then you can't hurt me. If you can't hurt me, I don't have to feel that terrible feeling. I'll be okay. And I lived a life like that. Not needing you, not wanting anything from you, and just looking okay. How are you, Bob? I'm good, man. Things are alright. You know? I heard you just got out, you know, after some serious time. It's on my ride. <laughs> Everything's okay. I, I was doing an interview not long ago, and some guy at the end of this whole interview, he looked at me and he says, You've been sober a long time. Tell me a funny drinking story. And I sat down and looked at him in silence for about two minutes. I said, You know what? They aren't funny anymore. They aren't funny any more? Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't laugh or that we shouldn't get hysterical at stories like Leo told last night. I was on the floor. I mean, I thought they were marvelous. Part of me is on the floor. Part of me is sad. Part of me is deeply touched. This is the links that we had to go to just to survive. We need to laugh at this stuff in the beginning. It saved my life being able to laugh at this stuff in the beginning. But it's like, I keep getting this sense. That it's like, you know, because, see, one of the things that happened to me by growing up in this screwed-up household was I got to the place where anything familiar, I identified it as safe. Anything unfamiliar, I identified it as dangerous. And that I should avoid at all costs. So familiar is safe. Okay? Unfamiliar is dangerous. I'm a man with an emotionally unavailable mother. Would you care to have a rogues gallery of the women I picked throughout my whole life? (laughs) I don't even want to think about it. (laughs) Now, so what that creates in me is a need to recreate safety whenever I can. Now, to recreate safety, I have to recreate what's familiar. So, I come into into a 12-step recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's unfamiliar—seriously unfamiliar. Okay, a few people mentally deranged enough that I could have a conversation. Most of them I couldn't talk to, okay? But it's unfamiliar. So I do the best I can. So I know the... A walking goddamn volcano of feelings. But this isn't a bad thing. This is an evil little Bobby who has somehow along his terrible, degraded path of alcoholism and drug addiction, I reached into trash cans in various alleys and gathered up these feelings. Not quite how it works. And I'm fresh on this stuff, okay? Because I have a brand new baby daughter. I'm going to go forward, then I'm going to come back to this. No, I'll get... How do you want to give the talk? I don't really care. How do you want to give the talk? (laughs) I arrived on this planet, delivered here by God, in his image, this beautiful child, with a full load of feelings. This is how I got here, okay? This isn't something acquired after I got here. I got here with my baby daughter, this precious little angel, this honest to God, believable, unbelievable little girl. I mean, she got here, and she has the capacity for happiness. She can laugh so hard, her whole body just...
1: Yes, I mean, berserk the
0: way she laughs, complete. How long has it been since you laughed that hard? Till you hurt? I mean, I laugh. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, from the time I was about eight, my whole world began and ended right here. Nothing went down further than here, and nothing came up further than here. It's like, it was just here. This was... My life existed above my shoulders. There was no life below, except for occasional wild experiences in which I intended to destroy me and my partner. Okay? (laughs)
1: This angelic
0: little child gets sad. She gets sad. Something happens and this little face just gets, oh, so sad, and little tears come down her cheeks. Oh my God, it breaks my heart. I mean, she's going to have anything she wants from me, you know. <sighs> and horror of horrors.
1: <gasps>
0: she gets angry. Oh my goodness. The dubious luxury of normal men. She
1: gets angry.
0: She gets so angry, this child of God, this little angel, she doubles these little fists up so tight they turn blue because she cuts off all the circulation, she furrows her brow, and she screams so loud the chandelier shakes, right?
1: (laughs) She
0: furls her brow so hard, this little spot right here gets white because her whole face is red, but she's also cut the blood off here too, right? (laughs) This is how God presented to earth this child. See, as I stand here right now tonight, I am absolutely, totally, thoroughly convinced The very first thing God wants me to be is a human being. If God had not wanted me to be a human being, which means all of the feelings, God would not have made me a human being. If God had wanted me to be a puffy little spirit floating around the planet, he would have made me a puffy little spirit floating around the planet. But he stuck me here. Okay? i have not like that for a long time. i do anything I can to not be here, this moment, right now. So my God delivered me, delivered this little child down here on earth with all of these feelings. I was talking with a friend of mine not long ago, he's been sober a long time, and we kind of had meat, a lot of mutual respect for each other, and he's gone his way and I've gone my way. And he's always respected me and all the work I've done in ACA and with the adult child issues and everything else. And I have respected what he's done and his work with juveniles and kids. And I we, we love each other deeply. But I used to take, you know, every now and then I used to say, "Don't you want to look at this stuff?" You know, I come from a good family, man. I come from a good Southern Baptist family. Fine daddy, good mommy. It's a party line. Now there's a little flaw with this statement. He and two of of his brothers have all committed murder. There's no... You hear this one? I'm from a fine family. Good mommy, good daddy. Forget the fact we're all killing people, you know. I talked to him about four months ago on the phone. I said, how's this going? And his wife, who's very shrewd, really hooked him up, which I thought was marvelous. She she went to him and she said to him, look, why don't you come facilitate some of these workshops that I'm giving. And he has that good, you know, big yard mentality. And he says, I can't be facilitating or supervising anything I don't do first. Now, she knew he'd say that. She said, well, why don't you come next weekend and do it? And he did And I talked to him about a couple, three weeks later. He said to me, you know, Bobby, man, I've written inventories for 25 years, man. I wrote him in prison, and I wrote him outside of prison. And he said, you know, when I was all done, and it was all over with, I felt like something was missing. I always felt like something was missing. I said, yeah, right. And something's been missing all your life, as far as you can remember, so it was no big deal. And he said, right. And he said, you know, this weekend, this last weekend, I got in touch with the shame, man. I got in touch with the shame. The shame, the
1: feeling of being
0: ashamed. And I said, yeah, and you know what was missing all these years, my friend? You were missing If you're walking around today in recovery feeling like something's missing in your life, the immediate tendency of those of us who were raised in any kind of dysfunctional family is to fix me on the outside. I live my whole life focused outside of me. I live my life. Leo and I talked after his talk last night when he talked about the moment of clarity when he'd wrecked his car and he was sitting in his car and he felt like he got outside of himself and he saw himself for the first time as he really was and the blood and all. And I said, Leo, think for a minute, maybe it was the first time you got inside of yourself. And it wasn't that you were looking at, that the moment of clarity is not when we get outside and look down at ourselves. My moment of clarity came for me, man, when I got inside and I felt the humiliation and the degradation, and the shame, and the truth of what I had become. As long as I was outside of me, I could lie to you, talk to you, jazz it up. You know, sing and dance, cover it up somehow. But I didn't have to look at it. But the minute I got in here, I felt it. And it felt bad. It was the worst I'd ever felt in my life. And I wanted to die. And thank God I came here, and AA was here. So do Get thinking I'm not grateful to my second family. I mean, whoa. Whoa. So grateful, okay? But, I, it's like, I am my feelings. You want to find out who you are? Find out what the hell it is you feel. That's who I am. If I'm not my feelings, what am I? I'm I'm not my car. Now I know we live in a bad state, and you guys do. I've moved. for for this conversation, but you know, I mean, I'm not my car. It can disappear be repossessed, taken away from me. I'm not my house. It can change, burn down. I'm not my clothes. They can change. I'm not my, my job, man. It can change. I'm not my partner. You know, they can die. They can leave me. They can change. I'm not any of these things. All that stuff can leave. I'm not my body. I can lose parts of my body, and I'm still here. No matter You can take all those things away from me and I'm still here. Like I've had, had friends who have lost extremities and came out of it a more powerful person. Incredibly more powerful. So I am what I feel and that's what I'm most afraid of and I'm most afraid of it because I'm ashamed of my feelings. I don't want to cry. God, I don't want to sit in front of the television set and just sob over the... Vietnam vets and the Afghan vets getting together, you know, I I would rather be
1: controlled. Cool.
0: Look good. How are you, Bob? I'm fine. Thank you very much. How do you feel inside, Bob? I don't know. It's not important. Now, this thing with feelings and God leads to the next part of my struggle and my recovery. People kept saying to me, "Bob, turn it over."
1: To who? <laughs> to God. Who's God?
0: God is your father, and He loves you. Give me a break where? My father was a chronic alcoholic. My father was a mess. My father was absolutely, completely, totally incapable of giving any kind of love. My father was a cold fish. When he wasn't drunk, he was just like a granite, statue of granite. He had nothing to say, not to touch me, nothing to give. Man, all the love I ever got in my whole life was conditional. If I behave right, I got loved right. And if I behave wrong, the word was removed. So you say to me, turn it over to a higher power that's my Father that loves me. Do you know where the first problem begins? I have no concept of unconditional love. I, honest to God, do not know what it is. I mean, I just don't know. So I spent, I agree with you, absolutely. I'll turn it up to God. He's my father. He loves me.
1: Right. <laughs>
0: down I go, you know, down the recovery path. And what I'm not saying to you is, I'm doing penance, man. I don't believe that God loves me. I believe i got to behave a certain way, act a certain way, dress a certain way. And when I make a mistake, God doesn't love me. I don't understand about unconditional love. I've been doing a lot of study over the last few years about functional and dysfunctional families. And they do exist, functional families. About 20% maybe of the families in this country, but that's okay. You know, but I never knew any of them because they don't hang out with us,
1: you know. We
0: scare them to death. And they bore us to tears, you know, and they're also embarrassing to be with. They are the most embarrassing people in the goddamn world to be with. Because they think they're okay. You know, these poor bastards think they're alright as is. I don't know where the hell they got that idea. They don't think they have to do anything to be okay. So they could just walk in a room with no clothes on, sit down, they are okay. You know, it's, it doesn't matter. Well, my very first experience ever in my whole life with eating sushi was with a functional human being. Hmm. So... We go to the sushi bar, okay? We walk in. Naturally, we picked a very thin sushi bar on the sunset strip, okay? Now, I'm not saying nothing to nobody, okay? But I've learned to live my whole life by observation. I watch you to figure out how I'm supposed to do it, okay? So, doesn't matter, they just released you from the state nut house. If you're dressed nice, I have so little self-esteem, I figure you're right. Okay? And I'll do it your way. I walk in the sushi bar, my hands are sweating, I'm nervous, my stomach is upset, because I don't know anything about where I'm going. I've never done it before. I've never been in here before. I don't know what they say. I don't know what they do. I don't know what they order. I don't know how to eat. I don't know how they dress. I don't know what's going to go on. And I know one thing, I can never ask anybody ever how you do anything, (laughs) because I think I'm supposed to know. I'll have time to get into where that begins as a little child, okay? So Jim and I walk into the sushi bar, we walk in the door, and we stand there, and, and the sushi bar was laid out like in a, in a, in, in like a, uh, well, like this, oh, sh- like a U-shape, you know, like this, okay? And so we're standing over here from the sushi bar, and there's tables out here, and a waiter, day or hostess stand here. I take one, and there's no, no stools here, just decorations in the little glass case, and then all down this way is fish, and then all down this way is fish, okay? And stools, all on. I'm in the door three seconds, I take one look, I'm Okay? I can relax now, it's all right. I know exactly where I'm going to sit. I'm going to sit down here on this corner, because if I sit on this corner, I can watch the people in this direction, and I can watch the people in this direction, and they'll never know I don't know. I can listen to how they order it, I can see how they eat it, no one needs no. Ah, thank God. Boy, it's okay. Unfortunately, standing next to me is Jim, who says, not in his softest voice, to the sushi chef, excuse me, excuse me, Uh, this is my first time ever in a sushi bar, and I was wondering if you could help me. Now... I'm standing there looking okay on the outside. <laughs> Inside, I'm going, Oh,
1: God, no!
0: <laughs> don't ask them because you ask them you're with me and they'll know that if I knew you'd ask me you wouldn't have
1: to ask them so now they know not only
0: you don't know, they know I don't know and God damn it, why did you have to say it? this poor, dumb son of a bitch thinks he's okay, you know? He he thinks it's okay to not know about an experience he's never had before. And that's the kind of misconceptions about life you get in a functional family. You grow up with this poor sense that you're all right. You grow up with a sense that you're valuable. You grow up with a sense that you're important. You don't immediately think it's you when something goes wrong in a room. Now this guy, he took the sushi chef by the hand, and to continue my embarrassment, led him down the whole damn glass case asking him what each fish was. Is it raw or cooked? Would he, a first-time sushi eater, enjoy it, or is it something he should wait until he acquires more of a palate for raw fish for I would like to take a run and just die right out the fucking window in Sunset Boulevard, you know. But I just walked along. But I learned a lot. That's the story of my life. I'm so ashamed of myself. I think I gotta know everything about everything, and that recruit included recovery. And you know, I can't let you know. See, I'm a tree. You know, people say, "Oh boy, he's you know, well, he's out to destroy. Hey, hey, ho, 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 the heretic. You know, Bobby. I know people. You can call well-known people, and they even call asking for my phone number. They'll hang up on you, man. And tell you I'm not even in the program anymore. You know. great to have that much power. I go, go to sleep some night just grinning over that kind of power. this poor sucker out here trying to find out who the hell I am and everybody else is going crazy. <laughs> I do find a lot of humor in that. I have to admit <clears throat> <laughs> That's the only guy I'm talking about is, man, I came in here, I was dying. I was a dysfunctional human being who was dying. The alcohol and drugs were killing me. I was living in the streets, sleeping in doorways. I weighed 135 goddamn pounds. My brains were fucking gone, man. I had none. I was talking to bricks from the sidewalk, for Christ's sake, you know. I was had too much sun, too many drugs, and too much alcohol, and I was gone. You know, I came in here, man, and people sat me down, and they gave me coffee, and they talked to me as is, man. And it was okay, you know, there was some other nuts there, and it was all right. You know, but I've been a troublemaker here for a long time, because I kept talking about the stuff that was bothering me. After a while, every time I became suicidal, I finally speak up, you know. Never thought of committing suicide before recovering. Never entered my mind. Got here, it became the only alternative every day to getting up, you know, like... What are we going to do about today, Bob? I think we'll just blow our brains out. It would be a, a rather good start for the day. And you don't think, you know? And I like to laugh and joke and kid about this stuff. And I had a good friend, man. I worked with him for a year. had right? about ten years, and I kept saying, you know, I kept trying to get him to get in. And see, our denial is so heavy. We're so afraid when somebody challenges our belief system. And this poor guy's denial was so great. And I say to him, please, sit down with me, man. I gave him books on this stuff and books on codependency and books on adult children and tapes, And I said, just listen to a little of it. I'll tell you how much heavy his denial was. He waited a week to buy the shotgun until it was going to be on sale. Because he said to his friends he was only going to use it once. And he did. And he's dead. And but these issues weren't important to him. This stuff is the stuff under the surface. So it's like, I come in here, man, and these people nursed me out of my chemical addiction. And that's what was killing me at the time. Oh, thank God. I mean, that's the first miracle. The first miracle is that I don't do drugs and I don't drink alcohol for 27, almost 27 years. Okay? So, Absolutely. AA is my second family, man. It's my second family. It's certainly more functional than my first family. But I happen to be one that thinks it could stand a little improvement. Okay? So I reached a point eventually where just being grateful for the first miracle was no longer enough. That's just me, I'm not saying it's got to be you, but I reached a point where I didn't care how grateful I was that I wasn't doing drugs and drinking alcohol anymore, I still wanted to die. I still was ashamed of myself. I still was a lost child. And that's why I had to start to seek other answers. So, you know, I, my attitude about AA is like this, man. This is my second family here. I don't hate AA. It's I just happen to think it's big enough and strong enough to take a little goddamn criticism without falling apart. That's all. <laughs> It was never intended that we'd be a little army of soldiers in suits and ties standing at attention saluting our sponsors, for Christ's sakes. You know, the guys that started this program were fruitcakes. <laughs> we don't want drug addicts and AA meetings and Dr. Bob whacking brains out on Barbinschwitz for years, for Christ's sakes, you know. literally fought cigarette smoking his whole recovery. He wanted to quit more than anything else in the world, and he did the last two years. It was too late. Emphysema still killed him. He suffered from manic depression for years and years and years, and finally somebody put him in touch with the fact that he was hyperthyroid, and they gave him a simple hormone. Something was physically wrong with him. We get in this trap, man, that if you're fucked up, it's because you're not working the
1: program.
0: Horse shit. let's wake up. There's new information out there. You know, they gave him a little hormone and he got better. We got a lot of good AAs in this room. We got a lot of good sponsors here. A lot of tremendous people at this convention. When's the last time you had a particularly troublesome baby? Somebody who was depressive, suicidal. Every time they took a step, they felt worse. You know, every time they went to a meeting, they felt worse. Every day they get up, they think about dying. Every night they go to bed, they think about dying. When was the last time you stuck that baby in your car and took them to a good doctor for a physical... You know, maybe there's something physically wrong with this person. Maybe they need a little help to recover. I just think we've gotten stuck, you know, that these founders had this program moving me in like a supersonic jet, and they've been looking at all this stuff. Man, if ACA hit with Bill Alive, he would have been at one of the first few meetings. He was an adult child, admittedly showing his own story, you know, for Christ's sake. (laughs) They are the guys that wrote the exact nature. If the exact nature isn't the core issue over what happened to me, then what's the exact nature? If it's not the core issue over what happened to me... I hear people, they come, they stand on the podium, and they say, I am an alcoholic because I drink too much. I have no argument with that. None. I, I, I don't live inside of them, I don't know them, and I don't want to argue. I, honest to God, believe them. I believe that's more than possible. If you drink too much, you will become an alcoholic. It's not my case. I was already screwed up. When I took the first drink, it was allowed me to survive. It allowed me to survive. It kept me alive until I could get here. And then this got me off of that survival tool and kept me off those chemicals and alcohol long enough for me to get rid of other survival tools. The need to pretend that I'm okay when I'm not. The need to pretend I'm strong when I'm weak. The need to pretend that I'm afraid when I'm brave. The need to pretend that I'm loving and kind when I'm really being angry and hateful. The need to pretend that I'm somebody other than who I am. And I had to get rid of those survival tools. I finally reached a point in recovery where surviving is no longer enough. It's not okay anymore. God damn it, I want to have a piece of life. I want to get happy. I have never been happy in my life. I haven't known happiness. It's sense of real peace of being okay and being filled with joy, it's never been mine. Lately, it's started to be mine. The last couple of three years, I've started to be happy. I've started to believe I got a real chance here. I like this man. Man, I used to look in the mirror and say the most obscene derogatory things to myself. You think you're high. I mean, people say, oh, God, you know, we won't even begin to. People say, oh, oh, my issue is controlling other people. Horseshit. Your issue is controlling yourself, you know? And people used to say, I mean, how many times you would go home, look in the mirror, and say, I love you? No, no. I used to say horrible things to myself. Horrible things. I used to say, you sick, insane son of a bitch. You're so crazy. You know, I know. I'm just, I would be vile with me. Because it was familiar, and familiar to me is safe. I have changed so about a few months back, about six months ago or so, I was sitting at home. I got up in the morning, and I turned on a television, my drug of choice, and, you know, <laughs> after the first quarter century of recovery, we now have, you know.
1: <laughs>
0: and there was this little simple movie on HBO called Amazing Grace and Chuck. Some people have seen it. And my little daughter is there in the playpen, and I'm watching this movie. And this movie is just about that nuclear war is wrong. That's what it's about. It's about a kid who says it's wrong and it's trying to make a stand, and people come in and support him. Well, I'm sitting there watching this movie, and I'm sobbing and crying. I mean, just coming, a part of the scene. My wife, oh God bless her, she comes in, you know, puts the and says, you okay? I said, I'm fine, thank you very much. And she left, right? I, How do you expect to get any work done if you don't go into the office, you know, sitting here crying in front of the television set, for Christ's sakes, you know? I've had a few of those, you know, in my life. I picked them. <laughs> From across a crowded room. <laughs> oh, she can give me the punishment I need. <laughs> <clears throat> And I watched this movie about this kid, and when it was over, my God, you know, I called my wife and I said, I need you, i got to talk to you, there's some things we got to discuss that are real important right now, because one of them can have a real drastic effect on our income. we get in bed and our little knees we always try and sit like children when we have these talks when one of us is crying and sad or hurt or emotional so we get our knees all up in our chest and we get next to each other on the bed and we hold each other and I said look first of all I know one thing that I do not ever want my daughter our daughter to become a marshmallow because a nuclear weapon. I hate feeling like that, man. I mean, I'd rather not pay any attention to that shit. You know what I mean? I really would rather not. I don't want to. I don't want to have to do anything about that. I really don't. You know, I'd rather just be stupid, you know? But reality is I do not want this child. I don't. And then I said to my wife, you know what? As a writer for television, man, I've got to finally, for one time in my life, accept responsibility for what the hell I put on paper. I can no longer sit down and kill some son of a bitch because they need to have a commercial break and sell a fucking douche. You know, I mean, I can't. I've got to accept more responsibility for what comes out of me. Scary stuff, new territory, unfamiliar, frightening, off, overwhelming, tears me apart, rips my guts out. But when I'm all done crying and sobbing and holding her and telling her this stuff and threatening my income, I go in the bathroom and I look in the mirror and God damn, I like that man. You know, he's alright! <laughs> He cares about his child. He cares about people. He cares about that he lives in. He lives in a world bigger than his armchair and his television set, man. And he's starting, this man is starting, I, me, I'm starting to take responsibility for my place in society. Okay? Now I'm absolutely convinced beyond a shadow of any doubt inside of every one of us is this beautiful, incredible, awesome, Little child, man. These little girls and these little boys that went into hiding a long time ago and drinking and drugs and food and gambling and sex and all the rest of it were just more tools that they had to use in order to survive. It's all they needed. And my solution for me came through the process of meeting this child. My little boy who is inside of me, it's unacceptable to him that people don't have a place to live. He doesn't understand that. It's unacceptable to him that children are being beaten. It's unacceptable to him that women are being beaten and abused. It's unacceptable to him that people don't have food to eat. It's unacceptable to him that war is a very real threat to all of us. He can't understand any of that. And he's never trusted me, because as a man he wants me to stand up and be responsible and protect children. And I'm convinced, man, that the solution for my recovery has come through my taking the time to meet this child, introduce this man and this child, now we had an adolescent who was in the way for a few years, (laughs) rock and rolling, you know, but he's okay, he did as good as he could, you know. But he is now blended into the child, and I have melded this child and this man into one person. And when I walk around most of the time, today and not all the time, I wake up some days terrified, I got problems with the IRS. When I was in Hollywood, I picked the business manager that had the competency of a fucking gorilla, right? He wiped me out. I had to bankrupt personally in my corporation. I left California when I moved to New Mexico three years ago. Penniless, man. He destroyed me. I picked him. I liked him. He was a nice guy. treated me okay, you know what the hell That all my money was going it didn't matter you know as part of the responsibility I have to accept for what you know for my behavior parents <sighs> I get so angry over that one sometimes I can't remember where I'm going <laughs> I don't know anyway what am I trying to say <sighs> I'm trying to say what Father Leo said last night is so true we are special i hadn't known that feeling from the time i was five and i probably did not i knew it a little bit when i first got sober and then it went away and then i didn't know it again for years and years and years but the truth is we are special and the child inside of us is special and you know sure some of what i say may not apply to you You may be sitting there saying, this man for 26 years should be taken out, you know, in a neck. And that's great, because all I can share with you is my experience. This is what I've been through over this 26 years. And it may not apply to you. None of this may have any relevance in your life. And it it doesn't make me wrong that I've done it this way. And it doesn't make you wrong that you're doing it your way. I would just like to see us get to a place where we can really love each other enough that we don't have to behave a certain way in order to be loved. That I can go get the tools I have to get in order to save my life and you're going to continue to love me even if you don't understand these tools. Because the end results are God damn, I'm a good man today. I'm a good husband, a good father. Oh, what a father.
1: What a father.
0: And I am so hopelessly in love with my baby daughter. It's incredible. I look at her sometimes and I love her so much. It hurts. And the reason it hurts is because I haven't felt anything that deep in so long. It's got to break through all this bullshit just so I can feel it for her. And I'll look at the back of her little head sometime when she's sitting there doing something, you know, in front of me. And I just go, oh, I mean, I just, thank God I can feel that. Man, I was Mr. Frozen Feelings in AA. Not somebody you wanted to play poker with. Not somebody you wanted to try and figure out in a relationship what I was thinking. No way you'd know. 17 years clean and sober, sitting in the meetings, listening to people talk about having their feelings hurt and not knowing what they meant. Not knowing what they meant. Frozen solid, my feelings. I'm okay. I don't need anything. I'm all right. No big deal. I've turned it over. Don't fuck with me. (laughs) I was going through a business deal not long ago, and it wasn't going like I wanted it to go. They weren't calling me up when they were supposed to call me up. And, and then the final crushing thing was, they said to a good friend of mine, they were afraid about something I was going to write, and it crushed me that they could even think about. So I'm not getting the phone calls I want to get. I need the money desperately. The balloon payment on the house depends upon it. The whole thing has fallen apart, and now they've said something that means they hold me in a light that is disrespectful. And I'm crushed. Now I could have gone to 3,000 goddamn people I know and said, I need these people to talk to me. I'm not getting what I need out of this deal at all. um, They're making me angry. They've said something that's hurt me really bad, and I can listen to them all saying to me, Turn it over, Bob. Well, I hung up the phone when I heard how bad they hurt me, and I went over in the kitchen chair, and I sat down in my wife's lap, and I put my arms around her, and I cried. I was hurt so bad that they could think that I would do that. Or try and mislead somebody that I cried. It hurt my feelings. And I got up the next day and I got on the phone and I got these guys on a. Every all three of us on a on a, um, a conference set up on the telephone. And I'm sure none of this behavior is in the Harvard MBA program. <laughs> First, I told them how angry I was that they weren't returning their calls when they were supposed to. They weren't meeting the deadlines that they were supposed to meet. And therefore, I reached a point where I didn't care if the deal went forward or not. It didn't matter to me. And I met that. And then I started to cry when I told them how bad I felt about what they said about me. Now, and I hung up the phone, now I have expressed my feelings. I have been a human being, what God made me. I'm mad, man, because you didn't live up to what you said you are supposed to live up with. I'm angry, and I'm hurt, and I'm crying because I'm sad because you said things about me that were unkind. I've let me see me, the human being. I've let me see them see me, the human being. Then I turned it over that's the difference and needless to say the deal worked out so all I'm trying to say to you man is um, what what am I trying to say I'm trying to say that it's been a hell of an adventure for 26 years. I expect it to be a hell of an adventure for another 40 or 50 years more. Um I gotta live that long. I got a year and a half old daughter for, a year and two week old daughter for Christ. I'll be 70 when she graduates high school.
1: <clears throat>
0: I got things to think about. My friends are talking about retirement. I look up and say, are you kidding? I can't even think about it, man. It's not, it's not even a word I want to know, you know. I'm, trying to figure out when I buy the tricycle here, you know. I'm I'm trying to tell you that I love you. I'm trying to tell you that despite a lot of bullshit put out to the contrary, I do not hate AA, I love it, it's my second family. I just think that, as they said in the book, there's a lot of new information that God has disclosed a lot of stuff to us, and some of us need desperately desperately to take advantage of that new information, or we're not going to make it. So for those of you who have found all your answers within the framework of the big book, and you need to look no further, God bless you. I love you, and I respect what you do, but please, please, don't stop the rest of us from having to find the tools we got to find so we can recover, too. God bless you.